Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. Before we get into today's episode, one more birthday shout out. Thanks for leaving reviews for the Take On Board podcast. So thanks to Sarah Devine, Sally Davis, Leonie Morgan, Michelle Isles, Inspired and Optimistic, VB Tay, Anna Robb, General McTiger, CS89 and Go Anna. Thanks for coming to our birthday party last Friday and joining almost 100 other women from the Take On Board community to network and celebrate. Thanks for sharing. Thanks to you, Take On Board returned to the top 20 podcasts in Australia. And a special shout out to the fabulous Michelle Shepherd, who was part of a small group of people that came together about 18 months ago to help me name this pod and to get it all started. The rest of the group are thanked at the end, but I'm sorry, Michelle, I forgot to say your name, so you get a special one here. Thank you so much for making the first year of this pod so much fun and engaging in it. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, it's Take On Board's first birthday, so the microphone has turned towards Helia our fearless and enthusiastic podcast host. She's agreed to sit down for an interview with me. First, let me tell you about Helia. No, wait, I'm not going to tell you about Helia. I'm going to let Helia tell you about herself in this episode. So without further ado, I'm so excited to say this. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Helia! Yay! God, it feels so weird to be on this side of the microphone, but awesome nonetheless. Happy birthday! Hooray! First birthday. It's been a while since I've had my first birthday, so it's nice to have it again. So I'm going to start off with, tell me about young Helia. When did you get an inkling that governance was something that you were interested in? Oh, so fun being asked my own questions. So I'm not sure if you'd say it made me interested in governance, but I was on the school council back at school 
In fact, I was trying to think back and wondering whether I was even on some sort of representative thing at primary school, but I think I don't think that's right. But definitely at secondary school, I was on the Student Representative Council and I was the SRC representative to our school council. I remember the principals was there, some of the teachers, some of the parents. During my time as a on that school council, there was a bit of controversy, always fun in your first governance experience. So I went to school, I went to a school called Diamond Creek Technical School. So it was a tech school. Whilst having a lot of the trade sort of things that tech schools have, it was also had quite a few creative things, neither of which I must say I was good at. I'm terrible at creative stuff and at the trades. So we had at our school a mud brick tower and it was the emblem of the school, this mud brick tower. And whilst on school holidays one year, we all came back to school and the tower was gone. They'd knocked it down during the school holidays for health and safety reasons. And there was uproar amongst the student body. And this was while I was on the council and they hadn't told us at council so people were coming to me and saying, what happened? I'm like, I have no idea what happened. We weren't told about this. We weren't told there was health and safety issues. So we organised a student protest. So we had a sit-in in our common area to protest that they hadn't consulted us about what was happening. We all wore black armbands to signify the passing of our school tower. My sister, my older sister at the time, was volunteering on the local paper called the Diamond Creek News, and she covered the story. And I, of course, was one of the strike organisers. So it was kind of ironic that in future years, she went on to become a journalist, and I went on for a period of time to be a union organiser. It just seems it was all set back then when I was in year eight or nine or whatever it was at the school. Whilst we didn't get our tower back because they'd already knocked it down. We certainly got some concessions, I guess, from the principal and others that had decided that, that they should have consulted with the student body. And whilst the outcome might not have been different, if that engaged us in the process, that we wouldn't have been quite so angry at the end of it. Did you carry on with that activism in the rest of your schooling? Yeah. Yeah, I was involved. A friend of mine um, calls me a joiner. So I'm, I'm a joiner. I like to join things. I could see that. <laughs> so, of course, joined the student, the SRC, the Student Representative Council, joined the school council, joined the student newspaper. You know, I was involved in things. So uh, that was both at school, at that, the secondary school that I went to. And when I got to university, once I kind of worked out what uni was all about, because I had no idea in my first year, but once I got the hang of it, I took my joining gene to the next level and got involved in all sorts of things at uni and, and likewise was editor of the student newspaper at university as well and involved in student politics and all sorts of things. Now, Helia is at university and you've made a decision to study law. Walk me through that process of choosing that as your degree. In year 12, I didn't really expect, to be honest, to get the marks to get into law. So I had down as my preferences at the time to do teaching. And when I got my year 12 results, I had gone unexpectedly well. So had an opportunity to change my preferences. So I then chose to apply for economics law at Monash University and was successful. So I got into economics law. Now, why I chose economics as my second degree. So Monash at the time, and I think still does, you can't just do a law degree, you need to do a combined degree. So I chose economics. 
I don't know why I chose that. It was clearly the wrong thing to do. And should I be admitting this? Yes, I shall. I failed spectacularly. I failed first year economics. I failed first year accounting. Why was I doing accounting? What was the other subject? Oh, economic statistics. I almost passed that, but not quite. So I had to go up before the exclusions committee in my first year. And I was desperate to get back in just so I could say I didn't want to be there. It's kind of like being dumped. But unfortunately, they dumped me. So I got chucked out of economics, which was the best thing ever. And uh, I went to the arts faculty instead and did my arts degree to combine with my law degree. So arts was where I should have been from the start. It was just a foolish decision from somebody who knew no better, really. So, yeah, I had a pretty rough start to uni. There was very few kids from my school that went to university. And in fact, you know, there was very few public school kids in university and I didn't really have much of an inkling about all of these private schools and private school kids. So it was a really rough start. So I was pleased by second year to get myself into the arts faculty and, you know, find my feet. And then you were successful and you moved through and you graduated and then you were a practicing lawyer and then shock among shocks, you made the decision to leave the law. Why? Um, so I did law because I wanted to help people. I think it's probably that the start of that. So I wanted, like I say, I, I kind of had an interest in law from secondary school, but didn't think I would get the marks. There were some kids at my school. It's an awful story, actually. They, they were boys. Oh, I shouldn't say boys being boys, but they were boys being boys. And they were mucking around as they do. And they were throwing rocks at the train. And one of the rocks hit a kid and killed him. And those kids that were in my home group, the three boys, were, of course, charged with, I can't even remember, murder or manslaughter or something, and ended up in whatever the children detention centres were called at the time. And, look, my memory of this might not be the accurate memory, but to my memory they were really kind of overwhelmed by the legal process and weren't really involved in the legal process and didn't really know what was going on. And so for me, getting into law was about making sure people knew what was going on in the legal processes and being, I guess, empowered in that. In some ways, maybe it's back to that school council thing. Like you, you want to know the decisions, decisions that are impacting you and to be able to understand those decisions that are impacting you. So I wanted to be part of being able to explain that to people and have them engaged in the process. So, and in fact, thinking about it, even my experience at university, like when I was thrown out of the economics faculty, I was very fortunate to have another student supporting me through that process. I had to front up to the law exclusions faculty as well, even though I had passed my law subjects, I had to front up to them. I had a, an older law student supporting me in that process. And I know having people supporting you well through those processes makes a huge difference. So that's why I got into the law. So I was a personal injuries litigation lawyer. I was working down in the Latrobe Valley and supporting people through their injuries. I think I did that okay, even though I was ridiculously young and so much younger than the clients that I was dealing with. And I sometimes kind of just think, how on earth they listen to me, I don't know. But what I found was that as a lawyer, you wait for something to go wrong in somebody's life. In this instance, you know, they do their back at work or do some other injury or get mesothelioma from working with asbestos or whatever. And then you sue somebody and you get them some money, but you don't really make the problem go away and you don't really have any role in 
stopping the problem from occurring at all. So um, my next role was working for the union. And in my role as a union organiser, I just found it was all flipped on, that, on its head. You, your role was essentially to work with groups of workers, work in a workplace to kind of identify their natural leaders, to build those people within the workplace to support their other co-workers and to kind of equalise the power structures within a workplace so that problems didn't happen at all. So I found that flip from kind of reactive to proactive and to being able to work with some of those people in the workplace on a long-term basis to build their leadership skills. That was just incredibly satisfying. So that's what drew me away from the law. And whilst I still got to use my legal skills, uh, it was in a very different format, which I loved. And was it a natural transition to go from the union organising to board work? So it was actually in my very first union role. So I was an industrial officer in a union for a while and through that role, which is kind of like being a legal officer, you don't have to be a lawyer to be an industrial officer, but often you are. So in that role, I represented the union on my first proper board, I guess, the Community Services and Health Industry Training Advisory Board. That's a snappy title. Um, so I was the union rep for the health services union on that board. And I enjoyed that, although I don't think I really thought about it being a board. I was just representing the union at the time in a way. And in my next uh, union, when I was working with the Australian Services Union, I ended up as assistant secretary of that union, which means you are effectively kind of like the deputy CEO of that organisation and reporting to the board, our branch executive. So working with our board in that way, although again, I don't think the union executive really thinks about governance in the way I think about governance now. And it was only really when I left the union, because that union, we had a lot of coverage in the community sector and membership organisations. So I dealt with a lot of not-for-profit organisations and I wanted to continue that connection to, you know, for-purpose organisations when I left. So it was then that I started looking for my, what I would consider my first inverted commas proper board role. What was your first proper board role? That was the YWCA Victoria, fabulous organisation in Victoria, improving the lives of women by ending inequality, although it had been around for, at the time, about 125 years and is still around. We haven't quite ended inequality yet. But yeah, that was my first proper board role, I guess, with other fabulous women. And that's where I really, I think, got my governance legs, for want of a better word. So I was on the board and also for a period of time on the subsidiary board, which was Social Housing Victoria. Great organisation and strong governance, probably partly from the length of time that organisation had been around and just a group of amazing women that I am still in touch with today. And what was the learning curve like for you joining that board? Oh, massive. You know, whilst I had been involved in some boards, as I say, not it didn't feel like proper boards and this one felt like a proper board. So learning about the organisation and being inducted into the organisation and finding out, you know, we had housing that we ran, we had community sector programs and we also ran a hotel. So we owned a hotel in the city, which was part of the kind of business model that we had that that hotel would provide funding for the rest of the organisation. So there was lots of stuff to get your head around as well as then thinking through all the things board need, boards need to think about, strategy, risk, the finances, all of those sorts of things. It was great training ground. 
And the other thing I loved about the why was we had a constitutional requirement that four of our directors were, inverted commas, young women. So women, I think it was aged 30 years and younger. So it was great to ensure that we had those young voices on the board and they were equal members of board. They weren't, oh, what are young women think, you know, let's just give them their training ground. They were there as full members of the board, participated as full members of the board and, you know, were absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, it was great. It was great in so many ways for me to learn a lot about governance. Do you remember anything that you learned during your Y time that you still draw upon in your current board roles? I think we went through, I said we owned a hotel, the Jasper Hotel, and we had to sell it during my period. I won't go through all of the reasoning and thinking behind that, but again, the thing that stood out for me is we engaged our inverted commas key stakeholders well, I think, during that process. It was quite a controversial decision. It had been in the Y portfolio for quite some time. There were some people who were not very happy at that decision, but we made sure we spoke to our members, we spoke to the staff, we spoke to our life members, we spoke to some of the groups that have been involved in that organisation for years. And again, whilst everybody wasn't happy, I think at the end of it, there was certainly a better understanding of the decision-making behind it. That was a <laughs> bit of a trial by fire in some ways in, in big decisions. And even the way we dealt with it within the board, we went through a quite a, I think a good process for us in terms of thinking it through and making sure that everybody was on deck in the boardroom as well. So you've been hosting Take On Board, the amazing podcast for the last year. Again, congratulations. So exciting. So how have you implemented some of the tips and tricks that some of your guests have imparted with you and your big audience over the past 12 months? Oh, it has been so fantastic to just sit down with different women and have these conversations. And of course, you draw it into your own governance practice. So when I got to sit down with Alex Newton, for example, about the modern slavery legislation, it was, let's have a case study. Oh, I know, let's use a hospital in Melbourne and what they should do. So we got all this advice about what we needed to do about modern slavery, which was fantastic. You know, I remember Llewellyn Prane. Uh, Llewellyn was actually, whilst it was the wasn't the first episode to go to air, she was my very first person that I interviewed. So thank you, Llewellyn, for being my guinea pig there. And I remember her talking about after each board meeting, reflecting and just, she would sit on the train on the way home and reflect on the board meeting and what had happened. And it was such a simple thing, but to just take the time to reflect on what you're doing well, what you could do differently, to do that before a board meeting about what you want to draw out and reflecting afterwards about what could be done differently. Another person I spoke to said that she puts post-it notes on her board papers for the questions that she is going to ask. Now, I don't put post-it notes because we have it all in the app, but I do definitely have my separate notes with all of the questions sitting next to me so that I can, you know, refer to them and make sure I've asked all the questions that I need to ask during a board meeting. I mean, I learn as much from these conversations as I hope the listeners learn from it as well. It is just a great way for me to reflect uh, and learn and to use all of that in my governance practice as well. So I love it. I love it that I get to learn and I love that I get to share it with others as well. 
And what are your plans for the podcast for the next year? Oh, oh I think, um, I mean, continuing, I think it's continuing to have some of these conversations. But for me, the podcast is just one part of it. For me, it's about building community. I mean, it's why I created the podcast, because I have these programs that involve women and I wanted to kind of start to engage the community in different ways. And I was looking for a podcast around governance and I couldn't find one. So I thought, well, I better go and create my own. So for me, it's not just the podcast. It's not just my programs. It's not just the Facebook group all sitting in different spots. It's them coming together and creating this community of supportive women that you know, look out for each other and help each other and guide each other and provide opportunities to each other and a cheer squad for each other. For me, over the next 12 months, I just want to grow the community and grow that engagement in the community. So there's not just more people in the community, but people are really helping each other out. It's already pretty amazing. I remember in the Facebook group, the first time there was a post there about people getting together before this particular event, and I hadn't prompted it. Somebody else had prompted it and all these people got together because of it. And I'm like, yay, others are now really starting to engage in it. So, yeah, that's what I really want to do is grow the community through all of those facets and really make sure they're engaging strongly with each other. As you mentioned earlier, you're a joiner and you're a connector of people. So does this come naturally to you or is this something you've had to really practice? I think it's probably a bit of both, to be honest. I think I am, like I say, I've been a joiner since school and I like getting involved in things. Um, I think I've certainly honed my connecting powers uh, since then. I can't always remember who's who, but I, I love when I speak to people, I'm like, oh, you really need to speak to that person. Do you want me to connect you to them? and ensure people can have that conversation. So I think I have got much better at that. Um, I think probably just more courageous in it. It requires a little bit of chutzpah to be able to say, oh, there's that person. Would you mind talking to this person and just going out on a bit of a limb and asking? But people are generally incredibly happy to help out. They're generally honoured to help out, I think. People like to help. So, I mean, I have reached out to, I can't even count how many people, both for myself in terms of, you know, can I get some help about whatever, issue X or organisation Y, can you tell me more? And I've connected lots of people to find out about those things. And I would have been knocked back less than five times. And mostly they would be because I don't have time or it's not appropriate, it might be a conflict of interest, whatever. So people are happy to help out. So... I think I've got more courageous in that as I've got older and uh, would just encourage others to just have the courage, have the chutzpah to reach out and ask people if they'll connect because generally they are very happy to do so. Excellent advice. So how do you recharge? I have to remind myself to recharge sometimes because I'm fortunate to love what I do. And therefore, that means sometimes, you know, it takes quite a bit of effort for me to step away. But for me to recharge, the things that I really love doing is walking. So if it's on a daily, I try on a daily basis, it's definitely not every day, but my ways at the end of the day is to just get out and have a bit of a walk around the Merry Creek, which is quite close to me. 
And likewise, getting away, bushwalking, I love it. I don't do it anywhere near as much as I would like, but you know, I was fortunate earlier this year to get down to Tasmania and do some hiking around the Bay of Fires before the whole COVID-19 thing kicked off. So it was great to get out for a few days and do some hiking and travel generally. I love traveling. I love seeing the world. I love seeing new things and just being put in those new places and being able to explore. Exploring. Ah, oh, remember the days. What are you looking forward to most about the post-COVID times, if we ever get back to that normal that everyone keeps talking about? Well, you know, I don't want to go, inverted commas, back to normal. I'm one of these people that wants to create the new normal and to keep some of these things from this period that have been valuable and useful and take them into an even better future. So, I mean, I think it's great not having to commute for every meeting, being able to do things a little bit more locally, I think is fantastic. So, I mean, I've always worked from home, but for some being able to work from home is incredibly useful. So I'm looking forward to taking some of that into the future. Uh, the thing I'm looking forward to most is being able to get away, to get out hiking again, to get traveling again. Uh, and traveling overseas. I'm, I'm guessing that won't be this year in 2020, but hopefully in 2021, that will be back on the cards. But by the same token, I'm kind of hoping that at some stage this year, I'll be able to do a bit of travel and have holidays within Australia, which is also a good opportunity to see parts of Australia that I might not have seen. Although at the moment, <laughs> from Victoria, we can't even really get outside. We're, we're technically allowed to go to New South Wales, but I don't know if we're welcome at the moment and I'm not able to visit any other state in Australia at the moment. So even that needs to wait a while. So I'll just need to explore Victoria. Well, it's a beautiful state. I'm sure there's plenty of things to see. All right, we're going to switch to the lightning round. What are you reading at the moment? I read Penny Wong's autobiography, those in Australia will all know Penny Wong, our, one of the senators for South Australia and a fabulous woman. Um, so yeah, read her biography, which was, oh, sorry, not autobiography, her biography, which was just fantastic. All right, favorite winter food? Ooh, uh, probably just a wide range of interesting soups. And, that, and that's one of the things I've enjoyed during this period as well is cooking more. So, you know, just creating all sorts of interesting warm soups. Favourite summer food? Ice cream. What flavour? Ooh, uh, what flavour? Um, I'm probably more a vanilla person than a chocolate person, but with interesting things in it. So pavlova? I remember having a pavlova ice cream from Minot ice cream over in Pasco Vale a couple of years ago, and I still dream about that ice cream. It was magnificent. That sounds magical. Yeah, it was good. Passion fruit and meringue and all sorts of wonderful things in there. Yum. Are you a coffee drinker or a tea drinker? Tea, most definitely. I don't drink coffee at all. It, coffee smells magnificent, tastes awful. I am a tea drinker, and I am very pernickety about my tea. I have a teapot and will avoid even tea bags. So have a range of teas. All of my coaching clients will know that tea is part of the ceremony. When I'm doing coaching with people, they do a pre-coaching reflection about, you know, what they've done since last time they came to see me. And the last question on that reflection is, what sort of tea would you like? 
or would you like me to choose? So it's all part of the service. And Helia, what is your favourite saying? I think it's probably never miss an opportunity. So if something's out there, just grab it with both hands. Love it. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure being your podcast producer for this past year. And you're a delight. And I'm sure the listeners will continue to just revel in your enthusiasm and warm words every week. (laughs) Well, thank you, Buffy. I don't think we introduced you at the start of this. So I have loved doing this podcast and there's two people in particular that have made it a dream and one of them is you Um, being able to pass the audio over and just know that you will wave your magic wand and make it sound fabulous has been amazing Um, and the other person that has just been an angel in this is of course Lisa Davis my business manager who just oh makes everything better so thank you to both of you um, and all of the guests that I've had and those women that were around at the start as well, we had a small group, uh, Jackie Cooper, Cressida Bradley, Sandy Bell, yourself, of course, that helped me come up with the name and all of those things. So thank you for being with me on the journey and for getting us to our first birthday and here's to getting to the second birthday as well. Thanks, Helia. Thank you. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.